start a chant. Fourth place, fourth place, fourth place. Let's do it. Welcome back to Royals Weekly. I'm your host, Marcus Mead, and with me as always, the man who claims to have invented the concept of altruism, my brother Mike. But I don't want any credit for it. But he doesn't want any credit for it. That would be uh, selfish of him. This week is a very special week for Royals Weekly. We invited our first guest onto the show this week, Alex Duvall, the editor-in-chief of Royals Farm Report. He's a great guy, a great baseball mind, and he's going to talk with us a little bit about the MLB draft, which is coming up a week from today, a week from the day that we're recording this, which is July 4th. Happy birthday, America. Way to go, America. Way to go, America. America. America, Hulk Hogan, Apple Pie, Macho Man Randy Savage. I don't know why I associate so many professional wrestlers with America, but that's what I do. And um, I'll tell you what, we're looking pretty good. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Young, young in the terms of age for a country. So a nation I mean, state, if I'm, you will. I mean, we, we got people out there storming capitals, but, uh, you know, who knows? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And we got a big uh, fire in the ocean. But, yeah, apparently uh, <laughs> the ocean's on fire right now. But, you know, other than uh, that, could be, could be worse. We could have died from the nuclear holocaust back in the late 80s. So, yeah. who knows? Mm-hmm. Um, but anyway, we're going to talk with Alex to all about the MLB draft. <laughs> and uh, we had a great conversation. So, you'll get to hear that during our spotlight segment. Uh, of course, during this episode, we'll get into last week as well. A little bit of a sad bummer of a week for the Royals, but we'll talk a little bit about it. Uh, it also saw it saw the extension of a losing streak last week, and then we ended the losing streak, and then uh, we lost again today. But we'll see. Uh, and then we'll preview this week's games as well, another full slate of games this week leading up to the All-Star break, which is coming up very soon. First, we want to thank those of you who have subscribed, rated, and reviewed so far. As we've implied before, subscribing to this podcast is one of the prerequisites for entry into heaven. I don't know if you know that, but mm-hmm. it's like you got to be a good person and you got to subscribe to Royals Weekly, and then you got a shot at getting in. So you're going to want to do that ASAP. You're going to want to just go ahead and hit that subscribe button. Eternal Damnation is a steep price to pay for delaying, right, Mike? Oh, and I just finished The Good Place. Let me tell you, existential crisis after that one. I'm 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 smashing that subscribe button. Yeah. If if you watch the whole series of the Good Place, you will be subscribing to this podcast immediately. You don't okay? end up in the bad place. Well, and yeah, it'll just give you a lot of weird thoughts about things. So I try not to I put it out of my mind. But uh, but yeah, subscribe, rate, review, help us out. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Uh, those of you who have already subscribed, you're safe. You're you're. You're getting in, okay? Yeah, that's right. You're in. Doesn't matter how bad of a person Uh, you are either. That's the great thing. Doesn't matter. You could be a shit person, but if you've subscribed to this podcast, you're going to heaven. That's right. Um, So thank you for subscribing, you excellent people or terrible people who just are going to get in on a technicality. (laughs) Um, So let's talk about some baseball. Last week was a weird week for roster news for the Royals. A lot of ups and downs, a lot of ins and outs, injuries. Edward Olivares is traveling fucking I-29 like you wouldn't believe. But uh, it was a little bit complicated. It was a little sad, too, at times. The Royals finally brought up Emmanuel Rivera, who got a hit on his, in his first couple hits in his first Ooh, game, yeah. was looking good. And then, boom, on his birthday, he breaks his it, tamate bone, a bone yeah. in your wrist, and he's put on the IL. Brutal. And, and I, f- I felt like it was the day after his birthday. But, yeah, that sucks. And these are tough injuries to come back from because we've seen it with guys like Kyle Isbell. Um, he may be healed. But he may not. St- sometimes uh, the power that you had doesn't all the- come back all the way, even once everything is structurally sound with a hamate bone injury. So, really sad to see for a guy who they were showing on the the broadcast. He had a huge contingent. Uh, he's from Puerto Rico. Uh, I don't know if you know if you don't know a lot about the island itself. They are extremely close knit in the Puerto Rican community, so they support every player that makes it into Major League Baseball. Um, sad to see uh, Emmanuel Rivera go down like that. Yeah, and I was had big hopes for him. He had looked great in AAA so far. Looked good in the very limited time we saw him in the major leagues. But hopefully he bounces back from that hamate bone injury. If you don't know, the hamate bone is like a small bone in your wrist. But as Mike said, a lot of times when that happens to guys, they have trouble getting their power back. You might remember Alex Gordon had a hamate bone injury a few years ago. Really struggled to get his power back for quite a while. Um, so hopefully he can bounce back get that power back and, and still be a viable piece for the Royals moving forward. Uh, it's going to be tough for him, but you never know. Uh, sometimes guys come back and they're still swinging it really well. Now, as a result of him getting put on the IL, Edward Olivares, 
our favorite up and down yo-yo was brought back up. But then after hitting his first home run this year was set back down again because Andrew Benintendi came off the injured list. So all of our us is just getting the toughest luck known to man getting treated just not great. I would say by the Royals, sending him up and down and up and down, giving him only playing time here and there. It's just not a great way to treat him. Especially when you look around, you see that Ryan O'Hearn started in right field today. When you see that Jorge Soler continues to get consistent at bats for the Royals. When you see that Hunter Dozier keeps struggling, like a lot of guys are playing who Olivares could probably play better than right now, but for some reason, the Royals don't want to give him a chance. Yeah. And you could add on to that. Uh, Michael A. Taylor has been playing really well or playing pretty well. Uh, and he's somebody we are going to have to get rid of, but he's not a long-term guy for the Royals either. So even, even if you're saying a fourth outfielder like Dyson, who's getting up there in age, he's not a long-term solution either. You're hoping that Olivares might be a piece you can use in the future, yet you refuse to give him at bats to see if he can be that person. Uh, it is baffling to me. Yeah, I think ultimately their plan is to give him at consistent at bats this year, but they're waiting until they can move some of these outfield pieces. So they're waiting until they move Solaire. They're waiting until they move Taylor. Although I don't know what you do when you move Taylor. Do you let Dyson play center field every day? Because Olivares is not a center fielder. And so there's nothing like you're kind of without a center fielder if you let Taylor go or if you trade him away. But you also have to take whatever you can get for him at this point. So a little, it's a complicated situation in center, but with Jorge Soler, that that's not complicated. You have to try and get rid of him if you can and see what you can get for him. And then you have to give Olivares every day at bats for half a season. If you can, I think that's their plan, but it kind of, it's kind of unfortunate that he looks ready to get that opportunity and yet he keeps not getting it. And so we'll see if that ends up happening moving forward. I really hope it does. I'm not saying Olivares is even capable of being an everyday major leaguer. I'm just saying that we need to find out. Exactly. You got to know. That means getting everyday bats. <laughs> yeah, you got to know. Another guy who a lot of people think was re- has been ready for a while, but the Royals seemingly always shun or don't, don't want to give a legit opportunity to is Richard Lovelady. And he was brought up this week as well. Wade Davis went on the IL with a right forearm strain, which I have in quotes on here. I'm skeptical that his, there, there's anything wrong with his forearm, but he was pitching very poorly. And so he goes on the IL. Richard Lovelady comes up, pitches really well for a couple outings. The first outing so. was was really good. The first outing was, really was good. multiple innings, no runs given up. It was a really good outing. It was a good outing. Uh, didn't do so hot today. Gave up a couple home runs, I think. Um, and so, you know, didn't look at nearly as good today, but it, he needs to be left in the bullpen and given a consistent chance at the major league level as well, because I think he'll either he'll either sink or swim. And that's sort of what we need to know is, is he capable of getting outs at this level? Two of our favorite infielders, Kelvin Gutierrez and Alcides Escobar, ALCS MVP Alcides Escobar, were both traded this week for cash considerations. Things can change very quickly at the major league level. Kelvin Gutierrez was hitting like fifth for us like a week ago, and now he plays for Baltimore. Alcides <laughs> Escobar was in Japan like a month Last year. ago. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> a month Two ago. months ago. Up until, up until yeah. like a couple months ago, Alcides Escobar was in Japan. Couldn't get a look at a major league team. We signed him to a triple A deal. Now he's been traded to the nationals. He went three for four for them today. Their major um, league team. He is playing major yes, league and he is table. hitting in the major leagues as like a 36 year old shortstop. And so crazy times in major league baseball. If you don't know what cash considerations is, that's just a weird term for saying we just sold these players. So instead of getting like a player back, they got money back for these two. And it won't be a ton of money, but it, maybe it'll help them in uh, free agency moving forward or something like that. But those two now play. I think it's a really good deal for Baltimore to get Gutierrez because if they think they can unlock his offense, if they think they can get him to hit the ball in the air more, then they've really gotten something for for nothing, right? So I think that's a really smart move for a, a team like Baltimore because you never know. If you unlock something in him and he starts hitting more line drives and fly balls, you have an everyday major league player. And Alcides Escobar was an injury move. The Washington Nationals lost their starting shortstop, Trey Turner, I believe, to injury. And um, so he's basically just providing a stopgap until uh, they can get healthy again. But you know you've got one thing when you get Alcides Escobar. His best ability is availability because the guy doesn't miss games. And so he can provide good, a solid defense at this age. Uh, and you, you know he'll be in there every day until your guy gets back. So Yeah, good point. The Royals last week went 2-5. and five which brings their overall record to 35 and 48. That's 14 games back of the White Sox. 
Uh, it's they're starting to look real small in our <laughs> yeah. in our uh, through our windshield right now. They have moved ahead of the Twins for fourth in the AL Central. Yay! Take that, Twins! I called this series the, the, for this weekend the Battle of the Basement, and we won it. Yeah, we We're did. Not in the basement, we are a half game up on the Twins. <laughs> so yeah, you can start, those are called bragging rights, people. Um, uh, I don't know if you've ever seen the movie. It's a phenomenal film. It's called Semi Pro, starring uh, Will Ferrell. <laughs> Phenomenal. Like, film. They have to get into fourth place to make it into the NBA, and that's really what the Royals are like. They just start a chant: fourth place, fourth place, fourth place. Let's do it. Uh, but it seems like people are having fun out of games. The the, the the Kaufman was packed this weekend, and people were having a good time. Mike went to the game on Friday night. Yep, um, over so thirty like thousand people. people. Yeah, Friday night was a great time out there. 30, over 30,000 people. It was packed. It was buck night. I, I couldn't even get a dollar hot dog because the lines were so long, but the fireworks show is great. Uh, the Royals put together a good game. Uh, it's good to see people excited about the team, even if they aren't winning all that much. We'll see if that continues. I hope it does. Yes. They were swept by the Red Sox in a four game set earlier this week. And it was like, that felt like rock bottom a little bit, especially that one to 15 game. Oh yeah. When, when, the, when the Sox beat us 15 to one. I mean, people were like, that's it fire everyone it's felt very much like rock bottom they even had to like dayton moore and all of them had and mike mike, mike matheny had to like come out and make statements of support i think this was this week during that red sox series they had to come out and make like statements of support for you know the coaching staff and all this stuff it really felt bad uh the royals did end up winning the series against the twins this weekend took two of three from them but uh it was interesting that you know after this Red Sox series, things hit so low and yet nothing is really happening at this point. I wonder sort of if we're going to see some moves maybe around the all-star break. I don't know. We'll see. I don't want to speculate because that's, um, that's not really meaningful in any way, but I would be very disappointed if, if, if uh, we see no changes made throughout the course of July. Yeah. If Cal Eldred still has a job at the end of this season with the Royals, well, maybe he still has a job because they, they don't like to fire guys. They like to move them within the organization or whatever. But if he's still their pitching coach at the end of the season, something has gone completely wrong. The, the Boston series was an embarrassment in a sense, but there's something freeing about knowing that your team isn't that good. You know, like it's something freeing to say, hey, I can now look at the younger guys on the team. I can tune into games and watch them and just pay attention to one or two aspects. I can go out and get to a game and just enjoy that I'm outside and having a good time. I'm not living and dying with every pitch for a team that's 35 and 48. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I'm, not, I'm not living and dying with every pitch. So there is something a little bit freeing about being that way. Um, I have here that the, the Boston series was an embarrassment. The Twins series was only slightly better. You should beat a team like the Twins. You should take a series from them. Uh, today, we weren't all that competitive in today's game. Um, but I will say, the game I went to Friday night, it was like watching what the best of the Royals could be, um, even though Brady Singer wasn't really good in that start. Yeah, so there were there have been some pretty good performances over the course of this last week. It's interesting. I looked sort of statistically at what's been done the last week, and the numbers don't look that bad. Um, some of the pitching numbers don't look great, but the hitting numbers look okay. Michael Taylor was the one I wanted to point out. He sort of had a resurgence offensively lately, especially in Boston. He went seven for 20 or seven for 18 this week. He hit two home runs in Boston, mostly at that short porch in right field. He was just going the other way and sneaking him over the fence. Uh, but he also had a double and five RBIs this week, which is really great. We want him to get hot here in July. So the team starts saying, Hey, we need a center fielder. Michael A. Taylor's playing pretty well in Kansas city. You can have them for something, you know, we're not going to get a ton for them, but a decent relief prospect, decent relief prospect, maybe a long, a lottery ticket prospect. Who's like a long way away or something. Um, we could get something for Michael A. Taylor. So it's good to see him picking up his offense. It looks like he's found a way to not get just blown by fastballs all the time. And that's great to see. He's hit very much hitting like he was to start the season. And so uh, it'll be interesting to see if he can keep that up raise that trade value and give uh, some value to the Royals in return in, in prospects. Yeah. And uh, the guy that I went with this week for strong performance is a guy that uh, I've talked about before on this podcast. I really like him. I love the potential of Carlos Hernandez. He throws a hundred and he has at least two plus pitches. His command is still an issue, but the guy has phenomenal stuff and he's a four pitch pitcher. Um, he went three innings this week 
uh, no earned runs, four strikeouts. He did give up two walks, but he only had one hit allowed in three innings. He is the kind of guy that good teams always get something out of. He may not end up being a starter. He may be a relief guy, whatever. If you determine his command never gets good enough or I don't know, but he's the kind of guy with the kind of ability to throw that you have to get something out of. I would love it if he could make it as a starting pitcher. I don't know if that will ever happen, but if you get a good pitching coach in here, I'm not talking about Kyle Eldred, somebody else who (laughs) can teach him to throw within the strike zone and that his stuff is good enough to get guys out as long as he's throwing it in the strike zone, then you have at the very least a back of the rotation guy and the kind of stuff that's ahead of the rotation guy. He's the kind of guy that like is a four or five starter, but then once in his career throws a no hitter, you know, because his stuff is just that good. But I I worry that the Royals just are never going to get that out of him. Yeah. And and that's the thing about consistently good teams, especially consistently good teams who have small budgets. You have to be phenomenal in terms of development. You have to take guys like Carlos Hernandez and turn them into reliable major league players. They may not be superstars. They may not even be front of the rotation guys or even mid rotation guys, but guys who are going to give you quality innings out of a bullpen or a rotation, you have to at least turn them into those guys. And especially a guy who throws as hard as he does with as good a stuff as he does, you're really only missing one or two things in terms of what he needs to be doing. And as a pitching coach, as a, as a somebody who works with pitchers in an organization, it is your job to help him find that one or two thing, two things, right? And yeah. so you have to hope that the Royals can get somebody who can do that because it looks like they might have that on the hitting side. We've seen some of their hitting prospects this year really turn corners and, and find stuff after they changed their hitting coordinators and the, and the regime that they had working with minor league hitters. I just want to see it for the pitchers now because we have so much riding on a crop of pitchers like Hernandez, Bubich, Singer, all those guys. We have a lot riding on that. And I, I really want to see that come to fruition because if it does, they'll have a chance. If it doesn't, they're in deep doo-doo. Here's my question to you. Who, who's the last guy you can think of who could throw it a hundred and had a changeup and a curveball like Carlos Hernandez. I can't I, think of anybody. Yeah, that's that's like, going to be a tough one. Yeah, I can't think of anybody because I mean, you not, just don't not see both. That. Yeah, yeah, you don't see both. You see, um, uh, although see I'm not as high on his changeup as you are, but the curveball like is legit. Ball. Yeah. So I, yeah, you cannot go keep going down the road here and not get something out of this guy. And we saw uh, the good thing was we saw the good of Carlos Hernandez this week. And hopefully that can uh, continue going. He He's a guy who's going to ge- keep getting chances this year. So hopefully he can capitalize on those. Yeah. Another guy who keeps getting chances who maybe shouldn't is Jorge Soler. <laughs> and so let's transition to talking about struggling players. So Lair continues to struggle. It makes it hard because it's going to make it hard to trade him. He was six for 21 this week. He had one walk and four strikeouts. He had zero extra base hits. And I know there was a, a day or something where he had a couple singles and people were like, maybe he's turned it around. We've told that story a billion times with Jorge Soler this, this year. It's not happening. And so I don't know what they're going to do. But to me, like, if nobody wants him in trade, it, then by the end of this month, you got to DFA him. Because yeah. what good is he to you moving forward? It, it actually makes no sense to give him at bats once you've, you know, move past the trade deadline. If you still have him, it makes no sense to give him at bats because he's not coming back. And so he may be like, well, I'd like an extension. You should say, absolutely not. Right. Unless you want to sign for like major league minimum and try and earn a place in spring training or something. No, because it just, it's not worth the money. And you have guys who you want to see if they can contribute like Olivares, maybe like Kyle Isbell later in the season, uh, you cannot continue to give him at bats. And so it was a really disappointing week from Solaire, but that's sort of same story, different chapter. Yeah. And honestly, six for 26 is about as good as he's done all year. Yeah. That's two thirty one is an average. Oh, that's phenomenal compared to the one eighty he's been putting up. Add that walk in. It's like a two fifty nine on base. And with no extra base hits, the OPS is like four ninety or something like that for the week. It's really not good. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, the guy I'm going to talk about struggling is uh, Brady Singer. Uh, he went three innings in his one start this year. That was for this week. That was Friday night. He gave up two earned runs, but he actually gave up a third run because he uh, he had a throwing error in that uh, in that uh, thing. The ball got hit back at him, bounced off him. He tried to pick it up and throw it home, threw it right past, really rolled it to Salvi like hard, 
kind of threw it right at the ground. It was embarrassing for him. But he gave up a, a terrible first inning that night. Uh, I think they started double-double that night off the wall, both of them. It was not not a, a good thing. Um, what, I, I, my, I'm kind of questioning what's up with him. He threw 80 pitches Friday night in three innings, which is terrible. But my question is, is the shoulder still bothering him? Are they really limiting his pitches? And if that's the case, maybe you just shut him down for a week, you know, and say, hey, we're just going to give you a week because it doesn't look like what he's doing right now is, is all that good. And so uh, I would say, you know, either let him stretch out or shut him down for 10 days and have him come back fresh from whatever shoulder issue issue he has. If he actually has one, it's hard to tell with the Royals sometimes, but a little disappointed yeah, Brady Singer. And obviously the big issue with him is still doesn't have a third pitch. Still doesn't have a third pitch. I'm starting to see something that looks like a confidence issue. When things start going poorly for him, it kind of well, crumbles. And not only and that, that that leads into his fielding ability. His fielding ability is bad. He can't throw the ball to first base. <laughs> he can't do it. Like I really worry about his ability to field the ground ball and throw it to first base. The one he threw to home Friday night was, I mean, it looked like somebody bowled the thing up there. It was terrible. Yeah. I think part of that is, he starts to feel like for him, or I don't know, I don't want to say how he feels, but I get this sense that like sometimes he thinks that hitter, the hitters are sort of on him. Like they know what's coming. Like they can anticipate what he's going to throw, especially in a night when he's leaning heavily on one pitch versus the other, because one's not working. It feels like he's up there. Something goes wrong. Something goes wrong. And then he crumbles because he doesn't, how to see he just has this sense like oh my god they're gonna hit this slider he throws it they hit it because it's bad you know it it's a, it's somewhat of a confidence issue i think but i think it's also that would get better if he had some direction if he had a sense of like how to, to throw a third pitch when to do it a little bit more of a, a plan when he's up there about how to attack hitters instead of just okay i'm always going to throw this two seam fastball in on righties and then a slider away every single time every single time and i'm like of course they know what's coming. You do the same shit all the time. Um, and so I wanted to see that third pitch, but I also just want to see a plan that looks a little bit more varied than what he does. Yeah. And, and this, I haven't seen the numbers on it, but being at the game on Friday, it seemed like he was leaning real heavy on that slider. I don't know if that's because the pitches they were getting hit in that first inning were his two seamer or what, but in inning two and three, it was a lot of sliders. So yeah, I agree. He needs to, he needs a better plan but he has got to uh, probably find a third pitch if he's going to ever be met better than really just major league average. Yeah. And I, I think he can be, I think we've seen that he, that he can be, but you got to find somebody who's going to get him there. And it's not Cal Eldred in my mind. And that brings me to my theme of the week uh, for my theme of the week. I just wrote down this slogan that a coach used to tell Mike and I all the time. If you always do what you always did, you'll always get what you always got. And I feel like if they're sticking with Cal Eldred, if they're sticking with this, plan for pitchers that they've been rolling with this whole time, you're going to get the exact same results. You're going to get a pitchers, you're going to get pitchers who don't have a third pitch. You're going to get guys who can't throw strikes. You're going to get guys who don't seem to have a plan. You're going to see guys whose pitch mix is not good and all that sort of thing that we just keep seeing it right now. Some days they, they get lucky and they're a little bit better, but against bad lineups or something like that, Brad Keller went out and had a pretty good day against a not very good lineup today. And so but that's not a long-term solution. You know, we need a long-term solution. We have to make a change because right now what's going on is just not acceptable. Yeah. And the, the, one of the, the thing that really grinds my gears for my family mm. guys, family guy people is, uh, is that we give up so many runs in the first inning. It's like they come in unprepared to pitch at the beginning of a game, whatever Cal Eldred is doing for their individualized or even team wide plan for warming up for a game or getting ready to start a game isn't it because I mean we give up a ton of runs in the first inning or first two innings or you know we're down early in games all the time and so yeah it's not uh whatever Cal Eldridge is doing is the opposite of what I would like to see especially when it the stakes are higher because the further we keep going here it isn't just Brady Singer and Chris Bubich it's Jackson Kowar, it's Daniel Lynch, it's Carlos Hernandez, it's Alec Marsh, and it's Jonathan Bolin. 
and eventually it'll be Asa Lacey if they just they, keep yeah, this going. Exactly. And and he, yeah, and he's got a lot of work to do still. So yeah, I, I can't, uh, we cannot abide more Cal Eldred. It can't <laughs> happen. If you like what you're hearing, please make sure to subscribe, rate, and review us on whatever platform you use. Subscribing, rating, and reviewing helps people find the show and helps us build a larger community. If you leave us a five-star rating and good review, we'll make sure to give you a shout out and read a snippet of your review on the next show. Also, follow us on Twitter and Facebook at Royals Weekly. We tweet during most games so you can get all this fresh insight for free by simply following us. For our spotlight segment this week, we are happy to welcome Alex Duvall. Alex is the editor-in-chief of Royals Farm Report and co-host of the Royals Farm Report podcast. There is no one I trust more when it comes to the Royals Farm System and the MLB draft than Alex. Alex, thank you so much for joining us. I really appreciate it. Yeah, absolutely, man. I, I appreciate you having, this, having me on tonight. Um, I've been rethinking and rethinking everything I think I know about the draft lately. So, um, you know, it's something that's been fresh in my mind, and I, I'm really excited for it to be over with just because I, I want the Royals to have the pick. I want to stop having to think about who they're going to wind up with and start kind of analyzing how that player is going to help their system and, and what that, you know, maybe says about the direction they're trying to go. So I'm, I'm definitely ready for it to be here and be over. But with that, I'm really excited to see how it falls. Yeah. And seven is always a tough pick for that because that means you got a lot of different scenarios to keep in mind, a lot of different players to keep in mind. It's not like they're picking two or three where they're going to have, you know, some, you have a little more certainty in that sense. Yeah, absolutely. And, it, you know, I think there's even, you know, a, among a lot of the mock drafts, there's like a consensus, like five players that we can pretty well cross off being there. And the other day we did the prospects live mock, which is a fabulous production. I highly recommend it. If you guys haven't seen it over on royalsfarmreport.com, I put up a link that just kind of a has the full four and a half hour mock draft B kind of how it fell before I got to pick at number seven. So everybody they have on is, you know, a lot like you and I Marcus, where they, maybe they, they aren't the most in touch with like the national prospect scene, but they are, you know, really in touch with the way their teams do things. And so all the GMs in this mock draft were very team specific, uh, very in touch with their teams. And, you know, Henry Davis, the catcher from Louisville, who's like either one or two on pretty much everybody's board fell to the Royals at number seven. So even, even among guys who, who know their teams pretty well and, and who have a really good idea of how a draft could fall, it was, it was crazy to see, you know, Davis available. Not that that'll happen on draft night. Just that, like you said, there are so many things that could happen that it makes for a really exciting night. Yeah. And I loved your write up on royalsfarmreport.com about that. I, it's a, it's a really detailed one. If you haven't read it, go give it a, go give it a read because you'll get to learn a lot about Henry Davis, about how different scenarios could play out, about how that specific one played out. Uh, in that mock draft, which is a really cool idea from Prospects Live. I'm really glad you were able to participate in that because uh, I don't think there's anybody to represent the Royals sort of team in the, in that in that sense than than you and, and Royals Farm Report. So the uh, great read. Go give that go give that a read if you haven't. Um, I wanted to sort of start with a broad question, and we'll just sort of keep this really conversational. If if Mike, if you have a point you want to sort of throw in about prospects you like, or or I know you have a question you want to ask Alex, go ahead and feel free to do that. But I wanted to start with a question about, broadly speaking, every team wants to get better in the draft, but what do you think sort of should be more specific goals for the Royals going into this draft? What should they want to accomplish with this draft uh, coming up here in about oh a couple of weeks now? Yeah, I think the one thing where they really need to get, um, you know, add some significant improvement is maybe with upper level bats. And so the problem with that is you really have one college bat at the top of the draft, and that is the aforementioned Henry Davis. And that's it. And so assuming that Henry Davis is going to be gone, really the best options you're looking at is the best college arm left, which is either going to be Kamar Rocker, Jack Leiter, or, you know, maybe like a Sam Bachman, depending on, I guess, what your flavor is there. Or it's going to be a prep bat. And and that's kind of unfortunate for what the Royals need. Like if you go back, you know, a year or two, and there's a guy like, you know, I know Heston Kierstad went number two, but that was kind of a, you know, of of a under slot deal. But there hasn't been that really like that big riser. There hasn't been a really deep class of college bats to pick from that can, you know, meet the core in 2023. So unless you think you're getting Henry Davis, 
then what you're going to have to do is go under slot for a guy like Sal Frelick who could step in and play center field, uh, Matt McClain who could play in, up the middle, second base, shortstop, or like a Colton Cowser who's probably a corner outfielder. But then you're talking about an under slot player who's not as good as one of the other players available. And, you know, that's typically not good strategy trying to find guys that are just, you know, specifically to meet your, your timeline. So I think what they really need to try to do is in rounds two through 10, get the best college batch they can find that they, that are reasonable. Right. So like we talked about taking the best player available, but also having a mindset of like really good college bats, not so dissimilar to what they did in 2018, taking a lot of college pitching, you know, the, the upper level pitching in the system wasn't very good. So they took a lot of it in the draft. It's just kind of, it, it was fortunate that year that the college pitching was pretty deep and it's unfortunate this year that the college hitting is not very deep, but, get, but if you can get a guy like Kamar Rocker or a Brady house, or, you know, even if a guy like Khalil Watson falls to you, I think there's going to be good options. I just don't think it's going to be um, a good year unless something crazy happens at the top. I don't think it's going to be a great year to get like a guy who fits your need and your timeline and is the best player available. Uh, I got a quick question for you, Alex. Um, one of the things that those prep bats that you were talking about, one of the things for Bobby Witt Jr. is that he's as a high school kid was able seems seemingly so far has been able to develop kind of quickly to be in that window. Are any of these guys, do you think like that? Do they profile as a guy who could develop really quickly? Or are these guys that we think like are maybe more like a Bubba Starling that we thought was going to take time or we knew was going to take a long time to develop as a hitter um, so that maybe he can be in that window for the Royals? Or is it, hey, Lawler, whether it's Lawler or Watson or whoever, are they guys that are going to take a little bit longer? Yeah, I think it's probably somewhere in between. I think what Bobby Wood Jr. is doing is, is maybe a little bit quicker than what you'd expect. And, and Bubba Starling, like... Maybe maybe the the consensus surrounding him at the time is more like it with a guy like Khalil Watson. Like he's going to take a while. Like if you end up with Khalil Watson, I'm not expecting him to sniff the big leagues until 2024 at the very earliest. Like at the end of 2024, he's probably more like a 2025 guy. Brady House a little more developed. Like he could potentially be on a Bobby Witt Jr. type of of timeline. I just I don't know. I think Marcelo Mayer is probably your best shot at that. He's probably going to go one, one though. So nobody that you're going to wind up with is, is even close to that timeline. I don't think. And again, that's, and that's kind of the unfortunate part of it is there's a decent chance that Brady house or Cleo Watson is the best player available when you get to that pick and they're just, it's just going to take them a while. So, um, you know, that is kind of the unfortunate thing. Uh, that, and then like you mentioned, um, I think if, if you're looking for a guy that's going to be like a Bubba Starling, like type of like long development, but like incredibly high ceiling, like Benny Montgomery, an outfielder, uh, Bubba Chandler, if you think he can play shortstop, like there, there are those options, but they're not in the conversation for number seven. Gotcha. Yeah. Yeah. I get the sense that what you were saying is pretty accurate, Alex, that some of the things that they might need to hit their timeline of trying to compete in 2023, maybe even try, maybe squeak into competition in 2022 aren't there for them. In fact, I think if you look at the outfielders being named who, and I think, I think they're pretty weak in the outfield after this year. Uh, if you look at guys that they're being named, they're really not till the back end of the first round, not guys with value at the top end where they're picking. So what I'm thinking of, as I think about pick seven is your Alex Duvall, the draft has ended. Who would you be happy to have seen them take at seven? And who would you be disappointed to have seen them take at seven? I go back and forth on this. Um, you know, if they wind up with a Jackson Job, I'll be excited, but I'll be concerned. Like he's like here. So I'll put it in two different, a little bit, two different categories. Similarly to what you're saying, but I'm going to, I'm going to maybe name them a little bit differently guys that I'm going to be comfortable with. Like, okay, that was a great pick. I'm not too worried about that one. Maybe it takes a while. Maybe it doesn't. Um, but guys that I'll be like satisfied with comfortable with Henry Davis, uh, Jack Leiter, Jordan Lawler, uh, Marcella Mayer, Cleo Watson, Brady House. Even if they do go under slot for a guy like Matt McClain or Colton Cowser, I'll be comfortable with it because, like we talked about, they need guys to start to kind of either A, meet the timeline, or B, be really solid You know, options at the bottom half of that system. Guys that would make me a little more like, well, I hope, you know, 
this this better work would be like a Jackson Job. Um, I, I don't. I don't. People aren't going to be very happy to hear this, but Kamar Rocker. I'm going to have a oh. more of a um, an in depth piece because I've been driving the Kamar Rocker train, and I and I don't know say. if it was. I don't know if it was maybe like like blind bias or. I really don't have a reason to have bias towards Kamar Rocker. Like, I don't know what that bias would be, but I don't know if it was, if I was blind to something, but I kind of see it. Like I I'm starting to understand what it was. That scouts are like, a, like concerned about now with that said, I still think he's like the third or fourth best pitcher in the class. I still think he has a chance to be very, very good. Maybe even like the highest ceiling of any pitcher in the class. You're also banking on the Royals ability to correct the issues because the issues that he has are going to get in the way of him being extremely successful. I think they're very correctable, but you have to be able to correct them first. So Brady house would be another guy that I'm, I'm kind of on the fence about. Like I'd be comfortable because he's a guy that you're going to give four or five years to develop and not worry about, but also the swing and miss in there is, is legitimate. And, you know, I think there's cause for concern um, a little bit. Uh, time Madden's, Another guy, South Frelick's another guy that I'm not a big South Frelick guy. Um, but he went on a, he had a huge power outage in the middle of the year that, you know, really concerns me because I, I don't think he can hit for a whole lot of power. I don't think he's Nicky Lopez, but I really don't know how far off it is either. Uh, the bats and ball skills are great. He's definitely a center fielder, but I'm, I'm, I'm gun shy on the power there. Ty Madden's fastball doesn't play like 99. He kind of reminds me of that article you wrote about Jackson Coar, where it may be 96, 97, 98, but it doesn't play that way. He really doesn't have a third pitch. There's, there's really, I don't know how many other options there are. Um, I think best case scenario, now that I really kind of think about it, I think the, the best case scenario would be if somehow either Jordan Lawler, shortstop out of Dallas, or Henry Davis, the catcher from Louisville, fell. And the one, the one pick they could make that would really kind of have me not very happy at the end of the draft would be, I guess there's two guys, South Frelick and Ty Madden would be my two guys that I'm really, really not hoping they don't wind up with. Well, that, that does it for me. My one question was, Mark really likes South Frelick and tell him why he's wrong. So uh, <laughs> I am also not a, a fan of him. Um, for similar reasons, I think he's kind of a tapped out kind of kid already. I don't think there's a lot of development left there for him. Um, but I'm glad to hear you say that and back me up and well, just basically prove me right, Alex. Thank you very much. Oh, I'm not, I'm not going to, I'm not going to stand here and argue my, my case, but, uh, yeah, I would be comfortable with self like it. Do you think that they could, uh, and for the fans who don't know what this is, sometimes what teams do is they take guys who they can sign for cheaper higher up in the draft so that they can use that pool of money on later guys. So it's called underslotting. And you could you take somebody like maybe Sal Freelich or some lower ranked prospect, you give them less money at that number seven slot, and then you get a better guy at 40, what is it, 43 that they pick at? Um, yep. And okay. Mark, can um, you give them the example, the recent example in Royals history so they can understand? Uh, so um, the biggest one recently I can think of is Hunter Dozier was an underslot pick. Uh, they were given he was given a little bit less money so that they could sign Sean Manaya at the end of the first round when they took him. Um, or do you think Freelick could be an underslot candidate? Would he take less money at seven than say yeah. uh, some of the Jordan Lawler or something like that? Yeah, and, that, and that's kind of the problem I have with Freelick. There is I don't think you're going to get him so underslot that it's worth it. Where like if they were going to take a Sam Bachman, a Jordan Wicks, Colton Cowser, Matt McClain, like there's just there's four or five guys I would rather have under slot at seven than Sal Frelick. Sal Frelick to me, I, and I don't mean to say this like I don't know. I, I think this is going to come off where I say it. Sal Frelick to me would be like more of like a panic pick. It's more of a we really need somebody that can play center field. We really need somebody that we're really sure can hit big league pitching. He may not have a, a huge impact when he gets there, but we know he can play center field and we know he can move to the big leagues in like two years. And to me, that would signal, signal, excuse me, signal like we're, we're, we're trying to go quickly here and we don't have time to wait for somebody else to take the extra year or maybe they don't play the correct position. So if you're just talking about talent, there's four guys I would rather have there that 
I just, I, I don't see it. And like early on, I did early on. I really thought, you know, maybe the bat would hit for enough power to matter. And then as the season went on, I think pitchers just kind of found where that groove was and they stayed away from it. And he stopped hitting for power. I think he had seven home runs in the first like month and a half and then less than five the rest of the season. So, um, I, I do think I, I am concerned about the upside there. And at number seven, like I get that there's like under slotting as an option, but whoever you take still has to have some upside. If you're going to pick number seven, otherwise, you know, you, I, I don't know. So there's, there's a few other options I like there, but yes, in terms of what you're talking about, he would be a candidate. Okay. I won't, I won't throw out my case for Sal Frelick right now. I mean, he does get on base a lot. He can play center field. So he takes You're good bats, which is something doing the Royals, which is something the Royals could really need. <laughs> Think Benintendi. I would take him at seven if anybody uh, offered right. it to me, that sort of thing. But I don't know. I'm, I'm, just not, I'm not gonna stop do that. doing it because uh, <laughs> he's a bum. Right. Um, so yeah, we've mentioned like who prospects that you like, and, and and I saw the other day that you said that you were softening a little bit on Kumar Rocker, and I don't want to give too much of a peek behind the piece that you're gonna write, but. Do you have some insight as to like what about Kumar Rocker is maybe what, why are you softening a little bit on him? Because I have thoughts on him that sort of mirror some of what scouts think the the worry over the velocity fluctuation, the command issues, things like that, and then of course the doubts about the Royals' develop, development of a prospect. But what, why are you softening on on uh, Kumar Rocker at this point? Uh, yeah, so with Rocker, I think part of it was me. I don't know if it's like realizing that I was being hypocritical or maybe in my evaluation of him. But one thing that I always liked was that the fastball had good velocity and his slider was so good that I thought eventually he could work his fastball into playing to its velocity in the strike zone. And I think it was actually the start he made in the super regional. And then when I saw him in Omaha and then um, I went back and rewatched that start on TV when I got home is he doesn't generate any outs with his fastball. And for anybody who has read, like, I don't, I don't, I haven't said it a lot, but if you've read everything I've ever put on Twitter and the website, which nobody has, but just for instance, I know for a fact it's out there and I'll go find it. I have said multiple times that my favorite thing about pitching prospects and, and the one thing I look for the most is can you get outs with fastballs in the strike zone? And that's one reason I said I didn't like Casey Mize a whole lot coming out of Auburn is he was so dependent on college hitters chasing bad pitches. And I say bad pitches. He was so dependent on them chasing good pitches in bad spots that I didn't think it could translate. And I don't know what, what I was missing about Rocker, but the entire time I was watching him, I didn't see it. And when I rewatched the start against in or Arizona, Arizona for the second time I saw it and I'm like, I don't know what I've been missing. I don't know how I did that, but he doesn't get out with his fastball. And if he throws a fastball, like the kids are coming out of their shoes on it. And sometimes they put it in play and hit it. Well, sometimes they don't, but man, he really just, he relies on that slider so much that like, it is a good pitch. It's a really, I mean, it's like a 70 or 80 grade offering, but I don't know where the fastball is at in terms of like the, even when the velo's there, like it doesn't, like guys aren't fooled. Like guys are not at any, in any way off of his fastball. I mean, they are all over that thing. So part of it is kind of me acknowledging that everything I've ever said about how I evaluate pitching prospects, I haven't been doing with rocker. And again, I don't know where that bias came from. I don't know why I was, I was so willing to look past the fastball issues, but, um, the results are there and I, and I get it. And people are going to be, you know, I'm sure I'll catch hell for that. That's part of running a public blog, I guess, is I'm starting to kind of understand the, the concerns. And so could he turn it around? Yeah. Casey Mize is like a three and a half ERA in, in the big leagues right now. And, and a lot of that is predicated on him fixing his fastball. He stopped throwing a sinker. He started throwing at 94 seams, 96 miles an hour and started having a little more success. Um, so could Rocker make those adjustments? Yes. And by the way, if he does, like if he ever gets, cause he like, he flies open sometimes. So let's say he ever gets his shoulders in sync with his hips and he gets that fastball fixed. People are going to be pissed that they passed on him in the top five and 10, but you're also trusting, you know, the organization that drafts them to fix those issues. And 
right now I'm just kind of on the fence about it. And if the Royals draft him, I'll be excited. I'll just be a little more concerned than I would be with a couple other guys on the board. Yeah, I think that makes perfect sense. And I think a lot of the sort of hype that got built up around him is based on these sort of clips that you see of him dominating college hitters with that slider. And when you're seeing that sort of limited look at him, anybody can look great in those sort of super cuts, you know, but what uh, the fastball issue is the big issue for me too. And I don't know if I picked this up from reading your stuff or anything like that, but I'm big on guys who at least at the very least their fastball doesn't get pounded. You know, um, a Coar is, is that great example too. Like a guy who, you know, can throw 97, but is just getting hit a lot. Doesn't really provide a lot of extra value with that fastball. And, and means you're going to have to live on your secondary pitches a lot more. And so, you know, it's one of those things that if you're thinking I'm going to take a guy in the top 10, you really want him to have a fastball that can get swings and misses at the, or at the very least doesn't get pounded all over the park when it's thrown. Um, even if he's, you know, creating these huge swing and misses, making guys look embarrassed on, on this amazing slider. And that's a, that's a great point because I'm, I've been a guy who's been excited to, for rocker um, partly because he's somebody I've known for so long now, I think, cause he, he was, had a lot of buzz coming out of high school even. Um, but now I'm going to go back and take a look at some of those starts. Cause now I have something to focus on from Alex there. I want to see how that fastball plays. Cause I've only seen, you know, an inning here, two innings there from his starts. I haven't seen full lengths of what he's done. So thank you for throwing that out there. I'm going to take a look at that fastball a little bit more. And, and I couldn't remember the game. I kept saying Arizona. I was at the Arizona game. And when I came home, I rewatched that game. And, and it did click, but the one of the best examples I think of it was if you watch the NC State start, he threw one fastball. I think it was by like the three or the four hitter, and I don't remember what happened. Oh, it was the foul ball. So it was the ball that got hit over third base. The ball hit the chalk. The umpire called it foul. They got together, said, no, it's fair. Put him on second base. Then the replay called down, and they said, ah, you can't do that. You got to call it a foul ball. So after like 10 minutes of shenanigans – Rocker gets back on the mound, throws a 95 mile an hour fastball right by the hitter for strike three. Okay. If you, if you like watch the fastballs he throws against NC state, that is like the only one that he throws a 95 miles an hour B that he gets like a real swing and a miss in the strike zone. And it was after the batter hadn't seen a pitch in 10 minutes. And I, and I just kept watching the start and it was like every time he needed a pitch, he went to a slider. And I'm like, and again, I'm, I'm, I'm talking like, you know, this is exactly what everybody else has been saying about Rocker all year, but I don't know how I missed it. I, I really don't know what I was looking for. Um, so again, I don't want to sound like I don't want Rocker anymore because I do. I just, it's, it's not what I thought it was. And, and to be honest, I don't know. I, it looks like an easy fix. And so the fact that he hasn't fixed it yet is that makes it, you know, it's obviously not an easy fix. Um, which means the concerns could be a little bit more than, you know, like just fatigue. Yeah. And I think we've seen examples of Royals pitchers like Chris Bubich, who have a pitch that they go to when they're in trouble. And what that ha- what happens at the major league level is the book is out on you. Everybody knows that's what you're going to when you're in trouble and they either foul it off. They, they, they sit it out. They just see it out of the strike zone and move on. And they just sort of, uh, they, they end up zoning one pitch on you if, if you're just sort of leaning so heavily on one to get out of certain situations. Um, so he'll have to develop a third pitch. He'll have to figure out a way to make that fastball more competent inside the strike zone, I think, to find successful at the major leagues. And the question is, could the Royals help him do that? Um, we'll see if they end up taking him, if, that, if that's the case. But I'm also interested to hear a few names because we have a very educated listener base. They're going to know some of these names we've already been talking about. I want to hear the deep cuts. I want to hear Alex give us some deep cuts from this draft. Guys, Alex, who are some guys the Royals might take later in the draft that you'd or you'd be excited to see them take or give a look to later in the draft, either second round or beyond that? Guys that you think there's a lot of value if if the Royals can pick them up in the second to tenth round. I don't think he's going to get to 43 anymore. Early on, I thought there's a chance. There's a kid named Ethan Wilson out of Southern Alabama. And he, you were talking about Ben Intendi earlier. He actually does remind me a lot of Ben Attendee. So his freshman year, he hit like, I don't know if it pulled up, he hit like 16 home runs as a freshman at South Alabama. Maybe it was 12. I don't remember. It was definitely double digits. Like he, he hit for a ton of power. And the raw power is still there. Like it's, it's very clearly there. 
This year he had a power outage though. And when you go back and look at his numbers, I know, I know people are concerned about the power outage, but maybe what I paid more attention to was he cut his strikeout rate down under 9%. He was still walking a lot. He hit like two, I'm going to get that wrong here. Let me just pull it up. Um, I think he hit like, like 300 or even a little better. Um, And so like all the other things that he didn't have of a part of his game as a freshman, he kind of worked on it. He kind of developed them a little bit. So as a freshman, he had 17 home runs. He hit 345, and he struck out in 17% of his plate appearances. And then as a sophomore in that shortened season, he struck out in like 26% of his plate appearances. Well, this year as a, as a junior, uh, he only hit eight home runs. He did hit 13 doubles and four triples. Hit 316. And he only struck out eight and a half percent of the time while still walking 13% of the time. So part of that can be when you get to South Alabama, you're the only guy in the lineup and they're not going to give you anything to hurt them with, which makes it hard to hit home runs. We know the raw powers there. The raw power is very good. And so again, he, I think folks are kind of coming back to him because he was like top of the first round consideration coming into the year. And then the power went away and that kind of went away. Um, so I think folks are coming back around on him. So I don't think he'll be there at 43 would be ecstatic. Like that would be like best case scenario of somehow Ethan Wilson, because that's your college bat that you can, you know, move kind of quickly that I was talking about earlier. The guy that I got in the second round on that prospects live mod, his name is Matt Mikulski. Uh, he's a left-handed pitcher out of Fordham as a junior. He decided not to sign and went back to school. I mean, so you're really gambling on yourself. You do that. Totally reworks his pitching mechanics. He looks kind of like a right, or I'm sorry, a left-handed Lucas Giolito in the back now where he's super short. Fastball runs up to 100 miles an hour. And one thing he's always been able to do is command three off-speed pitches. I mean, he truly has a curveball, a slider, and a changeup that he throws for strikes consistently. And, and even with the new really short, funky arm motion, he's been able to uphold his command of his off-speed pitches. So his fastball now, instead of being like 92, 93, is like 96. And like I said, he hit 100 with it earlier this year. Um, he struck out over 16 batters per nine innings pitched at Fordham this year as a, ju- as a senior. So he, and by the way, because he's a senior, you could get him for, for super cheap. So signing him in the, with, in the second round allowed me to then in the third round, uh, or I, I guess it was second, second, second comp round, um, I have no idea how to pronounce the kid's last name. It's spelled K-U-D-R-N-A, Ben, ben K. Um, he's a right-handed pitcher at a Blue Valley. <laughs> pretend he's Southwest. a kindergartner. Ben yeah. K. <laughs> so, sorry, Ben. Um, but right-handed pitcher at a Blue Valley Southwest High School. Has some of the, like, the easiest velocity I've ever seen from a prep kid that throws 94-96. Pretty sure his fastball hit 97 this year. And it's super fluid. Like he commands it really well. He's really fluid. The, the raw stuff, like all the fastball metrics in his breaking ball, they're not, they don't test really well, but he's a kid. You look at and you go, Oh, there's more in there. Like there's a lot more in there. Like this is at Riley pint, huge prep kid throwing as hard as he can without any feel for pitching. Like this kid pitches at 93 with the ability to run it up in the upper nineties. Um, I think he's probably the most slept on prep player in this draft. Like he might be my second favorite prep arm in the draft. And like Fangraphs has him at number 50 baseball America dropped him all the way down to like the sixties or something like that. Um, maybe that's signability. And I would obviously have no way of knowing if he's going to be signable or not. Um, but really, really excited. It's a possibility that he's there in the second or third round. Another prep kid in Kansas city is a catcher from park Hill. Um, uh, Carter Jensen absolutely hits the piss out of baseballs. Um, he'd be fun just to have as a prep bat. He's probably like a third baseman or first baseman long-term, but I mean, just, just hammers baseball. So you could throw him in there and like maybe the fifth or sixth round and get, be getting a really good player. Yeah. There's, I mean, this draft is pretty deep. Like at the, at, if you're going to under slot early on because your top three or four guys are off the board, Early on in the draft process, I was all in favor of it. Now, or then I was like, no, don't do that. There's seven guys I really like. Now I'm like, maybe there's five. So if you can get Jaden Hill, uh, LSU kid, had Tommy John at one of those later picks, that'd be a great get. Lonnie White Jr. is a prep center fielder. Reminds me a lot of like his movements remind me a lot of uh, Ronald Acuna Jr. I mean, just a freak athlete. 
with a bit of a longer swing, but his hands are so good that he gets them through the zone so fast that it really doesn't matter. Gavin Williams, right-handed pitch out of ECU, ran his fastball to 100. He almost beat Vandy there in the uh, uh, Super Regionals. So there's a lot of good options. The draft is really deep. And the Royals, if, they, if they're if they doing their homework, which they obviously are, um, could walk away with like four of their top 25 prospects if, they're re- if they do really, really well. Yeah, and if, you, if they do a move like taking a fourth-year senior in the second round, that would free up a lot of money or underslotting somebody at seven. That would free up some money to go ahead and make a pick at you know third, fourth, fifth round for somebody, a high school guy who might have some signability issues or a really high number to, to lure him away from college. That gives you a chance to get some of those really talented prep guys who you might be able to lure away or a Jaden Hill who probably still has, still has the option to go back and, and raise his number up into the first round once he's back from Tommy John. And, uh, and so, yeah, that, that's a, that'd be an interesting strategy. Uh, Alex, I want to thank you. We're running a little long um, as is always the case when Mike and I record anything. Um, yes, we want to thank you so much for, for joining us. So much insight. If you get a chance, read royalsfarmreport.com, listen to the Royals Farm Report podcast. So much insight about the minor leagues and the future of the Royals and this draft coming up. It's going to be really exciting to uh, to hear your thoughts on all of it. And I can't wait to, to read that coverage. Yeah, absolutely, man. I really appreciate it. Thanks for having me on. Um, you know, for anybody who I don't know how much you advertise this on um, your other stuff, but, you know, Marcus got his start writing for us. Not a start, but Marcus wrote for us for a little bit before he came over and started his own deal. And, um, and some of the stuff you've written is is. I think the the piece you wrote about Brady McConnell now that hasn't turned out super great, but the, the, <laughs> the concept of it, the concept of it at the time, made a lot of sense. And you know you, the way that you view baseball is, is is special, it's unique, and so there's you know a lot of good eyes and a lot of good talent just in the Kansas City Royals blogging um, arena. So um, love what you guys do, and I appreciate you having me on. Hey, thank, thank you, you so Alex. much, Alex. The Royals continue their long stretch without a day off this week. They'll have seven more games this week and won't get a day off until the All-Star break on July 12th. This week will feature a home interleague series against the Reds and a four-game set on the road against the Indians. Mike, tell us a little bit about the Reds, a National League team whose Paul Park we have visited, if you remember. I, I do remember that. Mark and I uh, went to go see the Reds play the Cubs. I want to say it's a year or two after the Great American Ballpark was built. Yeah, it was um, fairly new. Yeah, I was a big uh, Ken Griffey Jr. fan as a kid, and he ended his career with the Reds. And Mark was a big Cubs fan as a kid. So they were playing. We road tripped it with our mom and our brother Bob to uh, Cincinnati. Had a good we, time. We saw Sosa v. Griffey because Sosa was still playing for the Cubs at that time. Oh, Sosa yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm, yeah. yeah. Uh, Adam Dunn was on that Reds team still. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, so good, uh, good time there. Great ballpark to catch a game if you're ever out that way. I do like the Reds team. I feel like they're a scrappy team. They have a good offense. They're 43 and 40 in the National League Central. Uh, to start that series, it looks like we're going to have Mike Miner versus Vladimir Gutierrez, a 25 year old right handed pitcher. Uh, he's started seven games this year. He's got almost a five ERA and a pretty high whip at 1.41. He's not a power guy, he's got a fastball that goes about 93 ish and curveball and slider. So um, the pitching staff is probably the weakness of this team at this point um, because they do have a good offense, but it will be uh, fun to see that minor Vladimir Gutierrez matchup. Uh, The second game, we don't really know who's going to go. Let's see. Would that be the bullpen game that we've been getting randomly every once in a while? I guess. Uh, There's nothing listed as a probable. Okay, that's too bad. Um, So it could be maybe a Bubich start. Could be who knows. Um, against Luis Castillo, a 28-year-old right-hander. He's got an over-5 ERA in 17 games as well. His whip is also over 1.4. He's more of a four-seam fastball sinker kind of guy. He throws his changeup a lot. He leans heavy on that. That's a pitch that he likes. And he's having a down year, um, as you saw by the numbers there. Probably their best pitcher in the third game. Uh, Brady Singer versus Sonny Gray. You may remember Sonny Gray. He had a lot of success with the A's. Uh, back in the day, a 31-year-old right-hander out of Vanderbilt. He's got a 3.27 ERA, uh, low whip. He's a good pitcher still. So uh, a fastball, his slider is a very good pitch. He throws what is considered one of the best sliders in the game still, I think, um, and a fastball in the mid to low 90s. So uh, that third game is probably the toughest one 
pitching matchup wise for the Royals. Yeah. After that, they'll take on the Indians for a, I think that's a four game set against the Indians. Mm -hmm. Um, The Indians right now are 42 and 39. They're second in the AL central six back from the white Sox. As everybody thought, it's really the Indians pitching that's carrying them this year. Uh, Not a tremendous offense, but they pitch really well. Although a lot of people thought it would be their starting rotation that would carry them, but that's not really taking place. It's their bullpen that's done great work this year for for the um, Indians. They have the best reliever ERA in the American League at 3.38. They're eighth overall in in pitching ERA uh, in the league, but it's really their bullpen that's, that's done great work. Their offense has not been great. They're 14th in the American League in weighted runs created plus. That's next to last. Yes, it is. (laughs) Yes, It's something in the mid to high 80s, which is not a good. That's about 15% below league average, which is not good. Um, But they still score a few more runs than the Royals because they must scrap together runs here and there. It's really just Jose Ramirez and Fran Mel Reyes are the two guys you're really going to be worried about in their lineup. They've had a couple other guys. I think uh, Harold Ramirez is putting together a pretty good season offensively, but it's, 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 it's Jose Ramirez and Fran Mel Reyes who are really uh, the power bats in their lineup. The guys who are doing real work and being productive for that Indians team. So we'll see what those pitching matchups look like, look, look like later in this week. They don't have them yet, but if we can avoid their best uh, starters, maybe we can find a way to score some runs before we get to their killer bullpen and hold that uh, anemic offense down a little bit. We'll end this week the same way we end every single week with our just a bit outside segment, where we talk about something that we're thinking about outside the world of baseball this week. Mike, what are you thinking about outside the world of baseball this week? Fireworks. Fireworks and beer explosions, (laughs) explosions and beer and trucks. Uh, No fireworks. Super interesting to me. Went to the game Friday night, had a wonderful fireworks show at the Royals game Friday night. I like organized fire fireworks shows uh, in the town that I live in Greenwood, Missouri. They have one usually the week before uh, the 4th of July called freedom fest. And they do a fireworks show that you can see from my backyard. I like those things, right? It's cool. Professionals do it. But I don't understand why people go spend hundreds and hundreds of dollars of their hard-earned money on fireworks. It's literally just going to go up in smoke. The only thing I can think of that's like worse is like cigarettes. (laughs) Um, (laughs) Because those are going to kill you. Those will kill you and go up in smoke. Like, but yeah, I've seen people get hurt doing fireworks, all this stuff. Like go find a fireworks show or go do a Royals game and catch one at the end. Like you get it for free. I mean, it comes with your ticket, I guess. Um, so, yeah, I don't understand the spending large amounts of money on fireworks. You and I both have friends who do and have done that. Um, but, yeah, I don't get it, people. Um, it's not my thing. But, hey, you do your own. I might pop outside tonight and watch some of the fireworks in my neighborhood. My neighborhood, as you know, because you live with me right now, real big into the fireworks. Oh, my and the, Lord. The G-hood loves oh fireworks. It's going nuts uh, here in Greenwood. So, we might step out and look at those for a minute, but I'm not spending my money on that. Well, here's the thing. I, I love my I, money too much. <laughs> I, I, I get it to some degree. Like, yes, watch an organized fireworks show. That's lots of fun. Professionals. Great. I even would get it if it were one night a year, July 4th, and you want to set off some stuff, blowing stuff off can be fun. I know that, but it's been going on here for like yeah. three or four days. Greenwood and, recognizes the 4th of July for like a night. month. <laughs> and it's like, what the, what is going on people? Like we have dogs who can't handle it. And the thing that really gets me is we have veterans who have PTSD who are like freaking out because they, you know, this stuff. And and it's like, we're celebrating it, but we're also, I just, it, it bothers me to some degree that it's for so long, like yeah. one night a year, I get it. Let's all do it tonight. Great. But we do not need four or five days worth of fireworks. Some of which are going on at off at 10 o'clock in the morning. Like there are people shooting off fireworks outside on Mike street at like in the morning <laughs> on, Greenwood, baby. today, yesterday, doesn't matter. And it's like, what are you people doing? G hood up to no good. Yeah. Have a problem. Get help. Yeah. Okay? <laughs> um, I want to talk about work this week for my just a bit outside. I started my new job last week at the university of Missouri, Kansas city. Go Roos. Rue up. Rue up. Um, and it got me thinking about work. I, started, I had a conversation actually with somebody this morning who is younger than me, about a decade younger than me. And she works multiple jobs to uh, sustain herself. And the interesting thing was we started talking about like, 
oh, like should retiring early and things like that. And she was like, I could never do that because, you know, I just I want to stay busy and all this sort of stuff. And I, I started thinking about like what our culture does to people to get them to think that they need to work in order to be happy. Like what has, what has our culture done to us? Like what a trick that is, right? Like if, if you're, if you're a culture where you're like, we need people to work, even if they don't want to, let's just convince them that they want to. Like, <laughs> I can't think of anybody who's like, oh, I love getting up and just going to work every morning. And yet somehow we also convince ourselves that we're going to need to work or we're going to be unhappy. It's a very interesting uh, notion to me. And all I can think is, uh, you know, I, I don't get it. Like I, I, I like my job. Like I like my new job. It's going great. But if somebody said to me, here's $2 million, you can now stop working. I'd be like, peace. And I'm out. <laughs> and that, uh, as you know, that's the same for me. And I think we're a little bit different in that we have so many interests outside of our job um, that take up time and that we enjoy doing. Um, I feel like a lot of people, and it's a messed up system because it's your job a lot of time that keeps you from developing those interests. Yeah. You, just don't, you just don't have the time to develop interests because you're working all the time. Um, and so what do you think? Oh, well, if I stop working, I'm not going to be happy because I don't have anything else to do. It's like, yeah. no, like take your time, develop hobbies, try crap, be terrible at it, be okay that you're terrible at it and keep doing it or don't go find something else to do that you're ter- going to be terrible at to start. Like, yeah, I, I, we're, we're both hobbies people. We got a lot of them. Um, yeah. So yeah. And that's why I don't get people who are like, oh, I'd be so bored if I didn't work. I wouldn't. I'll find <laughs> something to do. I don't care what it is. I'll read a book. I'll watch TV. I'll, I'll, just, I'll go build something out of grass. I don't care. I will do <laughs> anything and have fun doing it as long as nobody's sort of telling me that I have to do all this work or stare at a computer all day or, or, or I'll just do that for fun, you know, like, but it's up to me, right? <laughs> it's up to me what I want to do. Uh, but yeah, that's what I wanted to talk about this week. We've talked a little bit about Royals baseball. Thank you for joining us. We've talked a little bit about the draft. We'll see who next week. We'll do a little bit of talking about who the Royals took. Big thank you to Alex Duvall for joining us. Oh, big thank you to Alex Duvall for joining us. Thanks for getting that in. Wonderful guy. Wonderful baseball mind. It was great talking to him about the draft. We'll see who the Royals take. We'll have a little hope for the future coming next week. But until then, keep listening to Royals Weekly. Keep subscribing and go Royals. Go Royals. Go Royals.